1: Our sermon text this morning is Psalm number 127. Unless Yahweh builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless Yahweh watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from Yahweh, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our rock and our kinsman redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We come to this uh, text this morning, the 127th Psalm, and this is very very likely a familiar psalm to many of us. Uh, it's a psalm that uh, may at times in, in congregations uh, like this and in our circles feel like preaching to the choir, a psalm cited by, uh, by many large families, uh, of course, children, uh, being commended here as a blessing from the Lord and the, a full quiver as a... A blessing, uh, something to be sought after by godly families. But we're not going to be just considering this morning the blessing of children uh, that is there and we'll be discussing that, but this psalm is is speaking to the construction of a house, to the uh, building of a house, to the guarding of a city, to the giving of, of offspring. We're going to be seeking this morning to hear all that's being said in Psalm 127, uh, to be hearing all that is intended by God in this psalm, uh, to be hearing what he, uh, what he speaks to us uh, concerning this, this house, what house he's speaking to us about, and what offspring, what children he's talking to us about. This psalm, 127, finds its place uh, in the center of uh, some of the most central themes of God's word two particular themes that are uh, that are interwoven throughout the bible uh, to understand the psalm we need to consider uh, what uh, what a, a home building what a house building means in the old testament especially and what the giving of offspring means in god's word uh, these are major themes in the psalm and it's important for us to hear uh, all of what god's word is saying about these themes when we come to the psalm one of the first important hints for us about what's going on is uh, a portion that we did not read, the uh, preface that comes right before the subtitle, that comes right before the psalm, A Song of Ascents of Solomon. This is a psalm written by Solomon. Uh, Solomon, of course, the king of Israel. Uh, Solomon, the son of David. And so when we, when we see that Solomon is writing a psalm here about the building of a house, that Solomon is writing a psalm about the gift of children. That needs to clue us in a little bit to what's going on. This isn't just any generic house. This isn't just any family or any children that's being discussed here. These are uh, Solomonic and Davidic uh, house-building themes. Uh, Solomonic, uh, Davidic uh, offspring that are being discussed here. This psalm is telling us about the, the themes of the promised offspring who would save the world and who would reign on the throne of David. From the beginning of of God's word, we see that God has set himself to carrying out a certain agenda in redeeming his fallen creation. He's committed himself to, uh, as we see described in the psalm, a building project. He's committed himself to build a house for his name. The house that he's building is the house or the dynasty of, of David, the house over which his son will rule eternally. I'm going to consider um, 2 Samuel chapter 7 briefly here uh, that sets an important context for us as we come to this psalm. In 2 Samuel 7, we have uh, David in conversation with the prophet Nathan, uh, who was uh, a counselor to David, who, was, uh, who spoke God's word uh, to the king. David was settled in Jerusalem as king. He established his throne uh, and his house. Uh, and yet the Lord was still being worshipped in the tabernacle, worshipped in a tent. And David noticed this. David thought, this isn't right. I, I've, I've been given a throne. I've been given a, a palace. But our Lord, the God of Israel, dwells in a tent. David approached Nathan, and he tells him this, he, he wants to remedy the situation. He wants to build a house for the Lord. He wants to build a grand uh, temple for the Lord. This desire isn't, isn't condemned. Nathan tells David, Go, do all that's in your heart, for Yahweh is with you. Well, then we see in 2 Samuel 7, starting in verse 5, or verse 4 rather, that same night the word of Yahweh came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says Yahweh, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling." In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appoint appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, Yahweh declares to you that Yahweh will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So what's going on here? Uh, David desires to to build a house for the Lord, to establish a a place for God to dwell uh, that's not a tent. The the, uh, people of Israel have been established in Jerusalem. David's throne uh, is established, and David wants to build a house now for the Lord. And that's not a That's not condemned as a a wicked desire. Uh, Remember, the Lord says that that will will happen. The son of David will build that house. But the Lord turns the tables first on David and says, no, I haven't asked you to build me a house. Uh, I want to build a house for you. I want to establish your throne, uh, to establish an offspring for you. The Lord commits himself to building a house for David, a house for David that will ultimately be the house of the son of God. God's establishing not only David himself, but David's line. He tells David that one of David's offspring will rule on the throne forever, and he will be to God a son. We already can see in this passage that this is no normal son. Uh, We're told that he will rule over his kingdom forever. Uh, We're told that he will be the son not just of David, but the son of God. He will be established as the uh, eternal king over Israel, the eternal king over God's people. Well, this covenant that God makes with David finds its place in a string of promises, uh, a string of promises of a coming offspring who would be the hope and deliverance of the world. The first promise, of course, is given immediately after the fall of man. You remember in Genesis 3, uh, when the uh, the curse is, is uh, detailed upon humanity, they, uh, Adam and Eve fall into sin, uh, God uh, condemns, uh, con- condemns them to uh, suffer the consequence of sin, and yet he promises deliverance. He promises deliverance through uh, the offspring of the woman who had crushed the head of the serpent. Yahweh promises that the offspring of the woman will defeat the serpent and restore God's creation, bringing the world to rights. The promise is narrowed, and our eyes are on Abraham's line. We see throughout Genesis this uh, theme of an offspring that's going to be given uh, continues throughout Genesis, uh, especially as, as uh, uh, it, it seems to be challenged, this, this promise, is it really going to be fulfilled? God tells Abraham that, uh, that he will give him an offspring, who will, uh, and that through Abraham's children all the nations will be blessed, and yet uh, Abraham's wife is barren. And this, this problem of barrenness comes up again and again when God promises an offspring uh, yet God overcomes and shows that it's ultimately from the Lord that this offspring will come. The promise is narrowed to Abraham's line. God's promise that his offspring will mediate blessings to the nations. And now, uh, to jump forward in time, David's line has become the hope of the world. David's son will rule, will save, and will bless the earth. God's intention is to bring salvation to the Gentiles, to bring Salvation to the nations through the line of David. Thus, when Solomon, when we read a psalm written by Solomon about building a house and about the Lord giving children, it's clear that he's speaking of more than simply any house, more than simply any children. Although, of course, he's speaking of more, but not less. He's speaking of building the house of, of David. He's speaking of the Davidic offspring, but he, but he is speaking, too, of of house building, of, of family life. He's speaking of, uh, uh, with general applica- application, too, to our own homes, to our own family, our own children. Psalm 127 does teach us how to build our own households, and it does teach us about the blessing of children. But Psalm 127 ultimately, primarily, is about the household of David, about the offspring of David, who will be the hope of the world. Thus, Psalm 127, of course, is ultimately about Christ. It's ultimately about Christ and about his body, the off, those who are born of the Spirit, the church. Solomon organizes this psalm into two main sections, one speaking of the attitude of builders and watchmen, and the other speaking of God's gift of children. The psalm, as we've seen, is about establishing a house for the Lord and a family who seeks after God's glory. It's about God's driving mission to build a house where God and man can dwell ultimately together. In the first part of the psalm, we see that God calls us to ensure that we are engaged in God's building building project. Unless Yahweh builds the house, we read, those who build it labor in vain. Unless Yahweh watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. This text teaches us that all of our working, all of our striving, However much effort we give, it's in vain unless we are working by God's will and in his might. As we build up, as we guard our households, as we uh, guard, as we build up our, our church, our uh, ministries, our uh, whatever God has called us to do, uh, we might give our best efforts, we might strive and work, but unless we are seeking first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, we're told here our efforts are going to be in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, we're told, our work is in vain. So Solomon first addresses the agenda of workers in the kingdom of God. The psalmist uses language of building and guarding to describe the agenda that our lives are to be set, uh, to which our lives are to be set. He says, unless Yahweh builds the house, unless you are participating in God's building project, unless you are engaged in God's work, then all your work is in vain. God's word is about God's building project, about God's, uh, God's driving mission to establish uh, the reunification of God with man, bringing us back into fellowship with God, building a house for God's name in which we can fellowship together with him. There is a house that God is building, and that building, that work will be accomplished. But we're told, we're, we're warned, uh, be warned the psalmist tells us it's possible for us to work and to toil, only to see that that work is done in vain. We can set out to build what seems like good, wonderful things. We can set out to to establish uh, a strong family, a good family. We can build. We can work to establish a solid business life. Uh, we can uh, we can work to make sure that our family name is respectable, uh, that our our name lives on. Uh, we can even. Work to, to see that we have a, a church that's filled uh, each Sunday, that uh, that's well known in the community. But unless we're working in God's building project, uh, if the end uh, that we are working towards is not God's kingdom first, then our work is in vain. These can all all the things that we set up to do in our lives can all seem like good and wonderful things. But if the in the in the end, if we're building our own kingdoms, uh, if we're establishing our own name then that work will crumble to nothing. See, God's God's engaged in a building project. God has set out to build a house for his name, to establish the name of uh, the offspring of David, uh, to establish the household of Christ. And God enlists us in that building project. God gives us work to do in that building. He sets us to engage in the work of his kingdom. And it's against that house, it's against the house of the Lord that the gates of hell will not prevail. We're called to engage in God's kingdom project. We're called to engage in the building of God's house. So let all your work be towards that end. Uh, we, can, we can deceive ourselves into thinking at times that we are doing God's will, when in reality, uh, if we step back and look, we, we can be establishing really our own mini kingdom. Uh, we can be establishing ourselves as, as kings over... Uh, over what we think is, is God's will. We're called to, to constantly throughout our lives keep ourselves in check to make sure that we are working towards God's end, working to establish God's kingdom, placing God's agenda before our own, placing the, uh, the needs of the people of God, the needs of others, before our own. And God's agenda, as we've seen from the background of the psalm, is establishing the kingdom of Christ, the son of David, And building his house. Solomon would naturally have in mind the house and city of David as he penned this psalm. God's incorporating into his people, uh, people from every tribe and tongue and nation. We're told this from early on uh, when God calls Abraham. God calls Abraham out. He calls out the the offspring of Abraham to be a special uh, nation, a chosen people. The people of Israel are, are called out to be God's covenant nation, set apart from the nations of the earth. But all along, the point is to bring in people from every tribe and tongue and nation that that the offspring of Abraham would be a blessing to the nations. We see in Revelation that this this goal is brought to completion when people from every nation are brought in as disciples. This is our our commission. Uh, uh, God calls us to engage in this project. The, the, uh, The Lord gives us a mission, that mission is, in Matthew 28, to disciple all the nations, to bring all the nations into this building project, to bring all the nations into the house of the Lord. The goal of bringing glory to his Son through the growth of his kingdom, the goal of the salvation of all nations is what drives God's mission. and This same goal has to be the driving force of all of our lives as well. We need to keep our own, our own work, our own building, uh, you can say projects, in check to make sure that we are placing first God's own mission, that our agendas in, live, in our lives are set to God's agendas, that our goals are in line with God's goals, that we're establishing, uh, that we're working to, to build God's kingdom, not our own. So God's committed himself to the building of the house of David, ultimately to the, the building of the body of Christ, the, the, new, the true temple of the living God. And he calls us to engage in that work. So we have to keep our own priorities, our own goal, our own uh, work in check with God's agenda. And how are, so how are we doing? What's the agenda of your life? If you, if you gauge your own life, what's, what is it that you get up each day and work and strive for? Are you establishing your kingdom? Are you establishing your family name? Or are you working to further God's kingdom? What's the agenda of of, our, of, the, of the church? Are we working to, uh, to uh, establish uh, the, the name of a particular denomination or uh, the name of, of a, a particular ministry? Or are we working to bring glory to God uh, through the ministry of his people? Are we working to uh, bring all the nations, particularly all those in this community that we're called to, uh, to worship the risen Christ? Does this mean that we all have to leave our careers and, and go to the mission field? Uh, perhaps that's what God's calling you to do. You know, we, we don't always need to rule that out. But of course, that's not what God calls all of us to do. But our, our vocations, our, our callings in life, uh, whether in, uh, in business or in, uh, in church ministry or in your family life, in your home, whatever God has called you to do, uh, whether you're a plumber or a career missionary, or a businessman, or a mother in, at home—all uh, of our work is called to be uh, in line with God's work. All of our work is called to uh, is to be work that's establishing the kingdom of Christ in whatever realm He has called us to. All of our work is to be a means to an end, mainly, or namely, the end of bringing glory to God by spreading His kingdom, by spreading the gospel of salvation through Christ to our community to our families, to our businesses, to our nation, to all nations. So as we engage in our labor, if our goals are in line with God's goals, we can be assured that all of our work will be blessed, that our efforts will be rewarded. But if that's not the case, if you're building your own kingdom, if you're establishing your own name, your work, Solomon warns us, will be in vain. All our best efforts as watchmen, as builders, will prove futile unless the work is the Lord's. Verse 2, he tells us, he gives to his beloved, sleep. In verse 2, Solomon warns us against a certain mindset that's inappropriate on the part of builders and watchmen in the city and in the household of God. It's the mindset of anxious toil. Worry and anxiety, Solomon tells us, will accomplish nothing. If Yahweh is in our work, if the Lord is in our work, then our anxious toil, he says, is in vain. If our goals are aligned with God's, then rest assured, God is the one who's building his household. God is establishing his kingdom, and God will succeed. The Lord tells us that uh, he will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we can rest assured, if we are engaged in that project, if we are working towards that end, that The Lord will grant success. He will accomplish his work. We know that he will accomplish what he has set out to do. We have no need for worry. The mindset of worry and anxiety creeps in when we come to believe that accomplishing God's will is up to us and within our power. However, in ourselves, we are wholly unable to carry out God's commands. He's the one who works in us, Paul tells us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If you, if you are uh, concerned about establishing your work and, and, that, uh, and, and you're operating by the mindset that it's in your power to establish, whether it's, like we said, whatever that work might be, establishing a, a healthy church in this, the, the life of this congregation or raising a godly family or engaging in uh, uh, a, a Christ-honoring business, whatever it might be, uh, I've got bad news for you. You can't do it. Uh, Paul tells us that uh, the, the work to accomplish God's will, to bring glory to God, is not in our power. Uh, it's God's work. God works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the bad news is you, you can't do it. You're not going to succeed if you're working in your own power. But the good news is if your goals are aligned with God's goals, then you can rest assured, you can, uh, you can trust that God will accomplish through you if you're engaged in his work, his good pleasure. God will accomplish his will through you. Knowing that God is carrying out His purposes in and through us when we are doing what He's told us to do in obedience gives us peace. It gives us rest. We can accomplish, or we can trust in God in the knowledge that He has given to us uh, all that we need to accomplish His will. We can lay down our heads at night and sleep. He tells us we are, uh, the Lord gives to His beloved sleep. This could also be translated uh, that the Lord gives to his beloved even in his sleep. When you lay down your head at night, uh, you are, you're stopping everything that you're doing. You know it's, a, uh, it's something we don't think about, but every night when you go to bed, you're surrendering everything that you're, you know, whatever your goals are, you're, you're taking however much sleep you get at night. You know If you're a young parent, it might not be that much. Uh, if you're someone who's really driven, some, I know... Uh, some people get less sleep than others, but however much sleep you get, uh, for six, seven, eight hours, you're not doing a thing. You know, you're, you're not accomplishing anything. For those who are you know, the really driven personalities who are always trying to, to work and to, uh, to accomplish their goals, that's, you know, that's an incredible act, to just lay your head down and not do a thing for however many hours it might be. The psalmist tells us here, the Lord gives to us even in our sleep. When you lay down your head and you're, you're not working, you're not accomplishing anything, the Lord is still working. He's still accomplishing His will, even in your sleep. You know, you, you lay down your head and uh, go to sleep and stop your work for, for the night. Uh, the work doesn't stop, though. If you're working towards God's end, uh, the Lord doesn't stop and wait for you to wake up to keep working to build His kingdom. The Lord doesn't say, well... My main, my uh, most trusted servant there is taking a break, so we'll wait till the morning to to keep establishing the kingdom. No, God is working to build this kingdom. God is establishing his house, even when we lay down our heads to sleep. The work is not up to us. It's up to him. So don't be anxious. Don't worry. God is accomplishing his purpose, even when we're sleeping. Then in part two of the psalm, we see that God is giving to his people the means to establish his kingdom. You read there, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate.
0: <clears throat>
1: now if David is going to have a dynasty and an offspring that will bless the earth, then what's the most fundamental thing that he's going to need? It's obvious, right? He, he needs sons. He needs sons who are going to carry out uh, this promise. Sons who are going to receive the, the promise, the blessing of the Lord. And in this text, we see that God, who's committed to establishing David's dynasty, is the one who gives children. They are a heritage and a reward from God himself. If, the, uh, if Abraham is being called out to bless the Lord it's this is especially clear in the life of Abraham who was uh, whose wife was Baron who you know Abraham whose name meant uh, great father uh, uh, later his name was uh, expanded uh, from Abram to Abraham <clears throat> to Abraham father of a multitude and yet you know he goes goes throughout the land as he's uh, that he's called to uh, meeting people uh, you know what's your name my name's Abr- Abram uh, great father how many kids do you have none none yet you no know, but well, the Lord said he'd give us some. We're just waiting on the Lord. My, I'm sure my wife's barren, but the Lord said he would. There, it's, it's crystal clear in the case of Abram and Sarah that children have to be a heritage from the Lord. Children are a heritage from the Lord. The promise that God has given to Abram to bless the nations through the offspring of Abraham has to come from the Lord. And in the case of David, uh, David's David's kingdom, his dynasty, is going to be established. Those children are a heritage, a gift from the Lord. So the second part of the psalm lays out to us the truth that giving children is in God's hands alone, that giving the means to establishing the kingdom is in God's hands, whether it's, uh, whether it's children, in the case of David, uh, or children in our own family life, or whatever the means might be to establishing God's kingdom that's given by God. In his sovereignty, the psalmist tells us, uh, the Lord opens and closes the womb. Children are a gift that he chooses to give or to withhold according to his wisdom. For David, as we've seen, children were the building blocks of the promise of God. If David's promise of a house and dynasty is to come true, then children will be the means by which the promises come to fulfillment. Children are described as arrows in the hand of a warrior because children especially in the Old Testament culture, provided security, provided uh, security for the future of their families. So God provided offspring for David so that he would always have a son on the throne. Ultimately, of course, the, the child, the offspring that the Lord provided to the household of David is Christ himself, the son of David, who is the son of God. So he provides for us the means to accomplish the building of his kingdom. He provides the offspring upon whom that kingdom is built, the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone in the household of the Lord, his son. We can rest assured that he will provide all that we need to establish and build his kingdom. He'll provide all that we need as we pursue his agenda in our own lives. Each one of these major biblical themes that's mentioned in this Psalm uh, informs our and informs our understanding of Psalm 127, are, of course, as we've already seen, fulfilled in Jesus. He is the promised offspring of the woman who crushes the head of the serpent. He is the son of David who rules from his throne over his people. And he is the head of the household of David, the kingdom of the Lord. The promise of the coming offspring who would bring to rights God's good world that had fallen is a major focus, of course, of the Old Testament. But in this offspring, is this offspring a group of people? Uh, as it seems to be in the case of uh, Abraham, his, his offspring would be like the stars in the sky, like the sand on the seashore? or is it an individual, uh, like it seems to be in uh, the promise to David? we find that the answer is both. Throughout the Old Testament, it looks like Israel as a nation is this offspring who will bring blessing to the world. The prophets and the life of Christ, however, teach us to expect uh, one particular son of the Lord, with a servant of the Lord, as we read in Isaiah. Uh, who will fulfill all of God's uh, promises, who will, who will bear the blessing, uh, bear the weight of Israel's calling in Himself. But we become particularly, uh, sorry, we, we become a part of this offspring as we are united to that Son, as we are united to Jesus. We become a part of that offspring as we are reborn of water and the Spirit. The Christ who fulfills these themes of Scripture is the whole Christ, head and body. It's not just Christ himself, but the whole body of Christ. He is the head. and Of course, we, uh, his people, the church, are the body. We are the, prom- the promised offspring in union with Jesus. Peter tells us that the house God is building is established on Christ. It's built of living stones. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones, being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God is establishing his kingdom. We see that the the fulfillment of God's promises uh, to Abraham, to David, to establish his kingdom, to establish the house, the dynasty of David, ultimately comes to its fulfillment in Jesus, who is the, uh, the, uh, the son of David and the son of God in one. Uh, who sits on the throne, who is ascended uh, to sit at the right hand of God. God is establishing the uh, household of God, the kingdom of Christ, in Jesus. And, he, uh, and we're told here that we are being built into that house as living stones. He is the, uh, the stone that's been rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. He's the chief cornerstone of that house, and we, in union with him, are being incorporated into that building, incorporated into his body. We are bricks in this building. God's building a house that's made of people, Peter tells us. And our call as living stones isn't just to, uh, to be built into that house and to you know, look around and, wow, what a glorious building, what a wonderful uh, thing to be a, a brick in this house. No, our, our call is to bring in the nations to join in our call is to go and bring in more people, to become disciples, and be incorporated into this spiritual building project, and to be incorporated into the body of Christ. The Lord's told us in Matthew 16, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If our work is not set to God's agenda, then, uh, then our work is in vain. If we're working to build our own kingdom, then it's right for us to worry and to, uh, to be anxious, as the psalmist uh, says. It's right for us to rise up early and go late to rest and eat the bread of anxious toil if we're establishing our own name, our own household, our own goals. But if our, uh, if our goals are aligned with God's, if we're establishing building, working in the building of his kingdom, then we can rest assured in the promise that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we are called then to go and engage in that work as we call uh, those around us to be incorporated into this building, to become disciples along with us. So in Christ, we're brought into the mission that God is working out through his Son. We've been baptized into union with Christ, and we become in our new birth, offspring of the Spirit. Jesus, of course, is the promised offspring through which the world is blessed, and so we, in our new life in Christ, mediate his blessing to the nations. Jesus is now uh, blessing the nations through us, through his people we become the hands and feet in the body of the Lord, bringing his blessing to those around us. His mission has become our mission, to do battle with the forces of sin and death and to bring the gospel of peace, salvation, forgiveness, and blessing to the nations around us, to the community around us in particular. Psalm 127, of course, speaks to us of of our family life. It assures us uh, that... God is the one who, uh, who establishes uh, His kingdom. God is the one who establishes our work as we as we are united to Jesus. Uh, establishes our households. Uh, it's God who, uh, who sets the agenda for our lives. Uh, for in our family lives, uh, the Psalm tells us, of course, that it's it's the Lord who gives children. It's the Lord who gives children as a as a blessing. Uh, there, there are of course. Different emphases of that psalm that need to be emphasized for uh, people in different situations, uh, for families who may uh, who may uh, long for for children, and and the Lord hasn't granted it. It's the Lord's will to open or close the womb. Uh, to families who are struggling, uh, and we might say this facetiously, but it's but, but it's true as as, as, uh, as many know. To families who are struggling with the burden of of parenthood and and who feel like uh, like there's Uh, you're exhausted or you you don't know what to do, how to raise your children, know that they are a blessing from the Lord. God gives children and they're a blessing and a reward. And as you set out to raise a godly family and unite your goals with God's, he will carry out the work and he will bless your efforts. The Lord gives children, the Lord blesses as we we, uh, align our lives, our goals with his agenda. Ultimately, the psalm, of course, as we've seen, is telling us God is establishing his household, his kingdom. God, through, his off- through the offspring of David, through the Son of God, is establishing his kingdom, and he's brought us in. Uh, the blessing that we receive is to be brought into that mission, brought into that kingdom, incorporated into the household of God. So we're called to embrace God's agenda of building the kingdom of God, trusting, not worrying, not being anxious, not eating the bread of anxious toil, staying up late at night to worry, but trusting that God will accomplish the work and that God will provide the means to do so. So may God grant us grace to lay down all and join in his work of bringing salvation to the nations. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we give you thanks for your grace to us through your Son, Jesus. We thank you that in him we have every blessing in the heavenly places, that you've united us to your Son in the Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you've uh, brought us into your kingdom, into the household of God, and that uh, you call us to carry out your mission in the world around us. And so we pray that we would be faithful in, uh, in that work, that we would rest assured in your grace, that we would operate in your strength to carry out that work. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. to the table of the Lord this morning. I want to consider the readings that we heard this morning from our uh, lectionary text. This uh, this is the church calendar, Transfiguration Sunday. It's the, the final Sunday in the season of Epiphany. Uh, Epiphany is all about the uh, manifestation of the glory of Christ, the manifestation of Jesus uh, to Israel and to the nations, uh, the glory of of uh, Jesus and his identity as uh, as the uh, Messiah of Israel and as the Son of God being manifest uh, throughout his ministry. In our readings this morning, we read of the glory of the Lord and the effect that it has on his people. We read of Moses, and as he goes up to Mount Sinai and uh, meets with the Lord, hears God's word, and comes back down uh, and is gleaming, is shining, his face is shining before the people to, as they uh, see the, the effect of his encounter with the glory of God. We read of Jesus in the transfiguration uh, as he uh, meets with Elijah and Moses and uh, uh, of course the uh, there's some humor there in the disciples' uh, response as they, they're they not sure quite what what to do when they wake up. They see what's going on and want to build tents for everybody, uh, but we're told they, they don't know what they're saying. Uh, but then the The glory of the Lord is is shown around them, is manifest around them. Uh, It's become evident this isn't a meeting of of equals. This isn't uh, Jesus uh, meeting with, uh, with his equals, Moses and Elijah. This is the manifestation of the glory of Israel's God. The epistle reading gives us a good taste of what it means for us to encounter the glory of the Lord. In our lesson, Paul talked about Uh, Moses uh, about in the reading that we uh, that we read in Exodus Moses and his encounter with the Lord and the veil that he wore uh, so that the uh, the glory uh, shining from his face uh, didn't frighten the people of Israel didn't overwhelm them Paul tells us this uh, for those who are not in Christ whose eyes have not been opened uh, to by the Spirit that veil is still over their face when they hear the word of the Lord read but Paul tells us, we all, though, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one, deg- one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we gather together each Lord's Day, we, we don't see uh, the light shining like, uh, like Moses did on Mount Sinai. We don't see uh, with our eyes the, trans- uh, the transfigured Christ uh, but we do experience that same reality. We come and uh, we meet with God uh, in, in his word. We come and hear God's word calling us to worship and we ascend together into his presence. Uh, we uh, fellowship around God's word as we hear it read and preached. Uh, the, the word of the Lord uh, given to us. And now we come to the table of the Lord where, he, uh, where God gives us his son as we are nourished uh, by the spirit with the body and blood of his son. Paul tells us that if we, when we encounter the Lord, uh, whether it's each Lord's Day or throughout our lives as we uh, fellowship with the people of the Lord, as we receive God's word, that's not going to leave you unchanged. Uh, like Moses, you are going to uh, shine. You are going to be transformed to bear that glory. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image of his Son as we come to the Lord and receive word and sacrament, we are being transformed to share in that glory. Uh, The the transfigured Christ, the glorious Christ, we are meeting with him today. And the effect that this this service, this uh, experience of the word, this reception of the word, the effect that this meal has on us is to give us a share in that glory, that we would bring that glory to shine on the world around us. So let us receive Christ as we come to his table today, as we rest on him alone for our salvation. We invite to the Lord's table all who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. By eating the bread and drinking the wine with us, you are acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope, except in the sovereign mercy of God, and that you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And so come with your children and welcome to the Lord Jesus.